In this episode, we talk about how easy it is to work on multiple things at once because it lets you avoid making tough prioritization decisions and what we're doing to avoid that trap. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? I'm uh, I'm getting ready to go on a little trip. I'm going to Asheville next week. You're not hometown, but sort of hometown. Mm. <laughs> yeah, hour away from my hometown, uh, which is actually called Morganton. Morganton. Um, it was a ton instead of a town because I think it's technically a city, not a town, but it's right mm. on the threshold of being <laughs> a town. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in the, it's Blue Ridge. Uh, oh no, what's it called? What's it called again? Blue Ridge Mountains. So it sounds right. Yeah, um, beautiful. Uh, lots of trees, humidity. Yeah. Uh, Asheville is wonderful. Like lots of breweries. You're going to have Sounds fun. like, yeah, I don't think I'm really going to get to spend much time in Asheville. So uh, the reason I'm going for people who don't know is like to go to Founder Summit, uh, which is a conference down there. And it's at some like, they're calling it like camp edition. So it's around, it's at some like lake. Res- it, I don't think like resort's probably too strong of a word, but something like that. So I probably won't really experience Asheville, the, the town very much, but uh, the weather and the mountains and the lake and stuff. And then, yeah, you know, this is kind of my first conference-ish ever. Uh, you and I were going to go to MicroConf, the one that got canceled by COVID. Mm-hmm. I went to a business of software, which is kind of like similar to MicroConf, as I understand it, having never been to MicroConf. But that was like, I was just a little baby uh, when <laughs> I went and I like didn't talk to anyone. I honestly hated it. I, I, I kind of resented the whole experience. But uh, now I'm like I sort of know people like over the internet, like mutual Twitter followers and people like that, where I feel like I'm going to be able to go there and actually like not just go into a little corner and be by myself the whole time. <laughs> Are you uh, speaking? I am. Yes. Um, I'm a little nervous about this because for a few reasons, but uh, I'm they're doing different like tracks and I'm in the like kind of culture team building one. And I'm planning on doing a talk on how to uh, how to hire entry level people. Well, that's great. Um, yeah. That's, I'm a li- that's very useful. I think it is, except I asked the organizers, like, what percentage of people at this do you think are like fully remote companies? And they were like, probably 95%. And I'm not saying don't hire entry level people. Right, exactly. (laughs) Like, I mean, some remote companies do hire entry level, but a lot of my advice is like, bring them in, have them sit right next to you, you know, that kind of thing. And like, I don't, I'm, I'm struggling to translate that. I I still have to prepare the talk and it's on. You could like for you, for remote, like you could have like a boot camp thing where you fly people in Mm. and tell, you know, for, for a month. Um, that's a great idea. Yeah. Like onboard people for a week. And you know, what's funny. Oh, it's now that you say that that's what we did. Cause our first person we hired that I didn't already know, cause we were remote at first. We hired someone when I was in San Francisco, we hired someone in St. Louis and we just flew out to St. Louis for a week and, uh, yeah, onboarded the, the person. So why didn't I go. think of that? Okay. Y- well. And you have a story about it. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Nice. But anyway, I'm trying to prepare that. I do really like though, I'm the type of person who like <laughs> if I'm at dinner with friends, having a great time talking and the the check comes and we pay, it doesn't matter how good of a time I'm having. I'm like time to leave. Let's get out of here. I have a purpose. If there's a purpose, let's go do the purpose. I really like that I'm I'm talking at this conference because now I'm like I'm going to this conference as a speaker. I have a role. That's what I can focus on instead of just being there. Are you going to leave after you speak? Be done? 
No, no. I, yeah, just like drop the mic and walk out. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think this is the type of conference where like everyone's sitting there watching you. I, the, the speaking is a pretty minor part of this. So I don't think it really matters that I'm speaking. Like they didn't even line me up as a speaker until last week. So this isn't like a big deal, but it gives me a sense of purpose, which I like. Um, so anyway, I'm looking forward to the conference. Um, I'll, I'll report back on, on my experiences. That's awesome. I, I'd love to hear about this. I'm very interested in this. The, the, the Founder Summit, if for people who don't know, is put on, I believe, by the same people who do Calm Fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uh, the group of people there is very similar to the MicroConf crowd, I believe. And uh, I, I'm very interested to see if you, if you get value out of it and would want to do it again next year. Because I, I currently don't do any um, outside of Utah intentional uh relationship development. I don't want to call it networking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, this seems like it would be on the list of things to consider outside of Utah. Yeah, I think that's very possible. I have this weird like guilt about it because it sounds like it's going to be fun. And I'm like, can I really count this as work? Like, do I have to take vacation days for this? Should the company pay for it or should I? But um, throwing all that aside, it sounds like like a bunch of other people who are going are like, making a whole week of it. And uh, it sounds like, a, if nothing else, fun, even if it's I, we'll see how good it is. I mean, that's the best. Stuff. I think that's what's like really good salespeople like that are that enjoy their jobs. I feel like they have this intersection of they they make money a lot of money and they travel and go do and they have friends in the industry mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. go to the same conferences and they just they have like these rituals um, and it feels like this could be one of those. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm really jealous. This is one thing I'm jealous about of like solo founders or like just co-founder teams or whatever is. There's you don't need to draw a line between like what's the company and what's you. So you can just be like, screw it. I'm just going to I'm going to go because I want to. And that's the end of it. But I I kind of am like, well, I I can't not that I, I don't let my employees go to conferences, but like there's rules around it. It's like we have a professional development budget and, you know, here are some limits on it and stuff like that. And so I'm I'm following all the rules, which makes me feel guilty about, it, you know, anyway. But yeah, it'd be cool if you got a customer or two out of it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling optimistic about that, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, what's going on? What's going on with you? I'm diving deep into digital advertising this month, primarily because it's the intersection of where Leg Up Health needs to go for our marketing and where Windfall plays. So it, it's a double whammy in terms of helping me to be be better at at my job. Um, and so uh, I'm learning a ton. And one of the things that I'm learning is like there's some serious like digital the reason digital advertising has gotten so complex it's way more complex than i ever like imagined it was <laughs> is because of the precision with how you can target people now which is enabled by data on people um so more specifically you know when you go to a website um there's things called cookies that track you associate you you give that website information now, all of a sudden, you've associated your personally identifiable information, like an email address, with this online identity, which then gets kind of bought and sold and traded and shared across all sorts of different websites. And um, there's been huge, you know, if you've heard of GDPR, which is the European Union's uh, response to the, you know, regulating this, and then also like the California, I think it's called the California Something Privacy Act. Yeah. Um, this is a big deal. And we're about to hit a kind of a crossroads on it. And I am like, the, the, the positive side is the more data that you share, the more relevant ads become for you and the more helpful other people can be 
in terms of serving you content and serving you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and on the other side, uh, the more data that people have and the more they know about you, the more that they can manipulate you and take advantage of you. And so, um, you know, I am, uh, I'm, I'm on one side of this, uh, to like, for me, like the pros outweigh the cons and I would rather have more precise targeting and, um, figure out how to combat the, the negative sides mm-hmm, of that mm-hmm. um, and have uh, the, the, the good side. Um, but I'm wondering where you sit. I have two like lines of thought here. Um, one, so you mentioned the regulations around this. Have you followed uh, Apple's, I think it's called ATT thing and how that plays in where they, I, I don't understand that like technically exactly what they did, but they, they limited what third parties like Facebook can do in terms of tracking. Right. And, well, yeah. Do you have any any context to add before I... I don't know the details of this, but the larger issue here is uh, the concept of third-party cookies and mm-hmm. not being able to share third-party cookies uh, across websites, I guess. Um, and so the, 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 the phrase for this is the death of the cookie. And it's yeah. causing a huge um, shift in how people are approaching advertising online. Yeah. And I think it's specifically like within apps, because this is like what Apple controls that like if if one if the DoorDash app wanted to use Facebook advertising, they could like put the equivalent of a pixel in their app, and now they basically can't do that or something like that. And this was initially pitched by Apple as this like huge like we're privacy advocates, yada yada, which I immediately was like, yeah, great, like fuck Facebook, right? But it turns out so there's two th- problems here. One is like there you can directly tie that to like small businesses suffering. Um, not, I don't, I don't mind Facebook suffering, but it's making it very difficult for small businesses to ad- advertise too. I feel somewhat conflicted by that, but I don't feel conflicted by is in addition to that, Apple launched their own ad network that doesn't have these same tracking, uh, restrictions. So basically Apple says there's no privacy if we're the ones making money, but if someone else is making money, absolute track tracking is terrible. Um, so I think Apple comes off looking really bad here. Anyway, that's not addressing your key thing. Yeah. Your point, though, is that there's there's been a huge sort of buildup on the internet of these uh, huge entities that control a substantial portion of the audience online. Mm-hmm. Whether that's Apple, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera, which I guess is Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got like, okay, we've got ad- ad- advertisers like you and me who want to reach these people. And then you've got the people who want to be reached on the other side, but then you've got these huge, I think they're called walled gardens, walled gardens, yeah. uh, you know, kind of controlling access, um, extracting as much as they can, uh, you know, you know, in terms of attacks. Well, and yeah, so that brings me to like the more direct answer to where I stand on this, which is, so like when I was a kid, there was a corner bookstore, I think it was called Paul's books and we'd go in and they kind of, I don't know if they knew me specifically, but they knew people in the community and they'd be like, hey, what's up? If Paul's books said like, hey, what's your birthday? Uh, What's your address? We'd like to send you a birthday card or give you a discount on your birthday. Great. That's like an awesome version of what you're saying that like you can serve people better if you know more about them. But just because something is good doesn't mean it's good at the scale of hundreds of millions or billions of people. Like Apple having all this information on us or Amazon having all this information on us can like they can still serve us better, but it also might, you know, break democracy or lead to nuclear war or like I think on the micro level, it is definitely better for almost everyone involved. 
and I'm very, very worried about systemic risk. And I kind of there you can't you know put the genie back in the bottle or whatever. But like, there's no going back. But I kind of think that this might end up being a net negative long term. Uh, what uh, uh, having all this data? I think it might be a net positive to not have all the data collection, even though in any individual transaction, it's probably better to have it. Okay, got it, got it. Um, interesting. So, yeah, what ends up happening, though, is you, you start regulating. At the end of the day, advertisers want to reach an audience, and people with an audience are going to figure out how to monetize their audience. And so you can put up all sorts of like data regulations. That's still going to happen. Like Advertisers are going to want to pay money to reach people's audiences, that's all the internet is, is like, you know, people paying other people to leverage their audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that clicked for me recently. And I was like, okay, well, and then you've got these people that are huge, like these big bullies who are charging a huge tax um, in between those two people. Yeah. I didn't audience. like fully appreciate the importance of the word, like what a media company is. Cause like, I was like, okay, a media company is like a TV channel and Facebook, what do they have in common? But it's exactly what you just said. Media companies get audiences and then sell that attention for to, mm-hmm. to someone else. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, um, yeah. Do you, what other updates do you have? Um, yeah, I've got a couple things, just uh, updates on topics we talked about previously. One last time I talked about how like our NPS score was all messed up because like we were getting a bunch of one star. We do one through five stars. We were getting a bunch of one star clicks from like email bots basically we started tracking the user agents of who is clicking it and stripping out like there's one user agent that all these one star clicks are coming from and if you strip that out as of three days ago uh we hadn't gotten a single below four star click period uh out of i mean not a huge sample size but of like 50 clicks or something like that so i (laughs) i think our mps score is actually like way higher than i thought it was i think this has been happening for a long time so that's cool i guess um it's great news yeah, it's yeah, uh, it it's good. It sucks. Like we've been tracking MPS for three years, and like I basically have to throw all that data out. We can't really track like is it getting better or worse because there, there's not a great way to clean the historic data because we weren't capturing user agent, unfortunately. Um, uh, another quick update is uh, I've been talking about like the integration stuff we're doing, trying to get integration partners, and one of the points I made is like these early companies that we're trying to get to integrate with us. You know, they do all the technical work of building the integration. What I really want to do is send as much traffic to them as possible to make them successful so that they can, like, we can use that as a case study, basically. Uh, so ZipMessage uh, has recently finished their integration with us, and we kind of launched that over the last week. Um, and we did something kind of cool, which is earlier today, Brian, the founder of ZipMessage, hosted a webinar for our users. So he has a webinar about, like, how to do asynchronous coaching and consulting we sent an email out to all of our coaches and consultants and we're like, hey, do you want to attend this webinar? Got like 60 people. I mean, they didn't all show up live, but they'll all get the recording. And I think maybe there were 20 people live. Uh, and we and I was there and kind of Brian and I both answered questions and stuff. And so anyway, it was kind of a good experience of like our audience, Brian's content and product and technical work uh, feels like a repeatable model to me, I think. And do you, did you get any feedback from the attendees that this was super valuable? Um, a handful of them in like the chat were like, thank you so much. This was great. I, it, I don't know what the webinar platform is, but like it lets you rank it. Like Brian set this all up, but I get the emails. So two people did give like click a star and we got a three and a four out of five stars. So that's not great. And it's okay. <laughs> three is not great, but uh, 
I think it was pretty good overall in terms of how people responded to it. And I have lots of questions. Um, from a zip message perspective, like, did they get some users out of this? Um, do they know how many? And like, is it like positive ROI for them? Uh, is it yeah, worthy of the investment? Do you have a case? I don't know. Do you have a case study here you think you can take to other app builders? I guess definitely not yet. And I'm not sure what Brian will even be willing to share with me, or have mm-hmm. me be willing to share with other people. But like, uh, it's pretty clear to me. Like a lot of people, there were a lot of eyeballs on zip message. Like 22,000 people get the email. I know you can't really trust open rates anymore, but we got like a 3% click-through rate on the email. So about 3% of the 22,000 clicked a link in the email and the email was mostly about zip message. Um, so, and then, you know, 60 people signing up for the webinar. I, I have to imagine he's getting some customers out of this. I I don't know how many. <laughs> I think probably like if, if it's especially probably a good deal for a new, very new company where if it's 10 or 20 users, like that could make, you're just struggling. How do I get my first users period? This is a way to do it. But then also like if it's in a category, we don't currently have an integration with. So like we're launching the reform or they're hopefully launching the reform, which is a form building integration in like, hopefully the next few weeks, that will be our first web form integration. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to send them a lot of traffic. I think the second web form integration we can still send some traffic to for sure, but like Not as much diminishing returns. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Cool. Thank you for that update. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What's next on your list? Well, webinar actually related. Um, you guys just did a webinar for an app um, integration. We are doing webinars um, for our chamber partnership strategy. So earlier this year, we committed to joining a bunch of chambers of commerce as members and um, we actually have like five of them who are or four or five of them who are doing uh, joint webinars with us, uh, sponsoring our webinar and marketing it to their um, to their group. We did our first one yesterday um, and it was a success. Uh, amazing. Like what I didn't appreciate is the first webinar you do is super hard. <laughs> but then the second one is like incrementally like there's nothing more to do except you get better. Yeah. Um, it's, if this is the same content, so going from zero to one on web on a one on a webinar is super super hard. But th- now we have four or five of these left, and all the work's done, and th- and we even have recordings that we can use to market. So, um, kind of the build once, uh, sell sell twice concept yeah. here is is hitting me. Um, and and uh, you know I think we we have really good content now. We have slide we had to force us to build good slide designs. We have good content um, and we're uh, driving some awareness that we wouldn't have been able to drive otherwise. And so this is just like everything you need to know about indivi- like getting your own individual insurance or something? This is geared towards, given it's the chamber, we're gearing it towards employers. So we're saying uh, the, the, the webinar topic is about how to evaluate health benefits for your small business um, in 2023. Gotcha. Cool. And when um, you say it was a success, like a bunch of people showed up or you got good feedback. What, what makes you no, say just that? that we got it done. Um, oh. was like the, the first one, um, we had, it was very low numbers. I want to say it was like maybe 15 registrants, 16 registrants, um, and five people showed up, uh, total. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's huge for us, like going from nothing to, to that. Uh, we didn't market it all ourselves on that one. I think it was like a seven day turnaround time on like, uh, on announcement to that. Um, but then we're, we've got weeks ahead of the next ones. So yeah. we, we're going to really uh, re- do reach out and invite people to them. Since we just both talked about webinars, can I just say like, I don't, I don't get them. I don't get what, why anyone attends a webinar, like, or like you'd think you could just record the video 
and put it on YouTube, but there's this like kind of pressure created by the fact that it's happening live, I guess. I think um, th- there's a, F- a FOMO. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the, the whole thing. It's like, is, is this recording going to be available? There's also the concept of timeliness and uh, questions. Like, do you, do you have to wait to get the recording? Um, and then uh, there's value added by attending questions, questions that are spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we, we did spend mo- the majority of the time on, on Q and a, we, I, we used to do webinars like with customers, like as kind of like, you can schedule a demo with us, but you have to find a time and it's kind of like a lot of pressure or you can just, you know, twice a day we'll do a w- webinars and people can join. Um, my, I've been toying with trying that again, but all right. Probably not in. a huge impact. Like for us, it's like we went from doing nothing to doing something and uh, it's like, wow, five people we didn't know showed up and listened to JD talk for 45 minutes. That's pretty cool. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and then, you know, oh, maybe we can, if we can get to 30 people the next time, that'd be huge for us. Um, remember, our goal is just to get to 200 clients by the end of this year. That's net 150 increase or 140 and increase. That's, that's, that's 200 individual clients. Like one of yeah. these business clients might bring you 20 people. Potentially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that seems well worth it, especially now that you got the content made. Um, I've got like big, big stuff left. Do you, it looks like you've got some more updates. Like, you want to do Yeah, yours? let me go through through my updates and we can do your stuff. So um, first, like kind of small update that's random but interesting is Windfall is opening an office in Utah. That's awesome. I guess I should say that I am opening an office for Windfall okay. in Utah. Like, like, would they be opening this if you didn't work there? Probably, maybe. Um, the main driver is uh, we're building out a sales development team, which is basically a fancy way of saying um, outbound prospecting team. So it's a mm-hmm. team of salespeople dedi- like, dedicated to like identifying and teeing up accounts um, for sellers, closers. U- Utah is thought of as a great place for this skill set. Is, exactly. is that and yeah? So if you if you look at like the 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 areas that we would have looked at for this, um, it would have been like Arizona. Denver, Salt Lake City, maybe not Salt Lake City, but Lehigh, Salt Lake City, a um, couple other areas. And uh, so it could have been Utah if I wasn't here, but since I'm here, Utah makes a lot of sense. Well, like, I, I don't know how much this is the reason. I've I've heard before that because, you know, Utah is such a large Mormon population and so many Mormons go do missions. It's a group of people who are much more comfortable with things like cold calling and sales and stuff like that than just the average random American. That's one factor. The other factor uh, historically has been uh, cost of labor uh, being lower uh, for equal or better talent. Um, and then uh, the, the the third factor that's sort of sort of starting to offset the cost of labor because cost of labor is going up right. is the fact that we've had a lot of entrepreneurial success, uh, uh, SaaS success here in Utah. So you've got t- uh, trained, good trained talent. Yeah. Okay. Because like from a cost standpoint, if what you need is like a minimum wage call center employee, you'd go to Iowa or something like they like Salt Lake City is not it's not like the coast, but it's quite a bit more expensive than, say, St. Louis, where I live. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but yeah, you, you get the experience like you're not hiring someone and teaching them what a SaaS company is. You're hiring someone who's been in a SaaS company, seen sales development done right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to they want to go to an earlier stage company and and make an impact. Makes sense. Cool. So, so what, what's your role going to be in getting that office open? 
uh, I mean, soup to nuts, man. Uh, like, are you we'll, like getting a lease and all that stuff? Yeah, I think uh, we, we, we have some co-location, uh, uh, co-working, um, relationships already, um, in other, uh, in, a, in other states. So probably leverage those. Um, I won't go into detail for privacy purposes, but like, uh, we'll probably do something co-working and then, um, you know, if, if you are someone in Utah listening to this podcast and you're interested in, uh, there are kind of two buckets of roles here. Uh, sales development is one. Um, so we're looking for someone to hire and build out, like hire as the leader and help build out the team, work really closely with me. And then second is um, a revenue operations manager who would uh, work really closely with me as well to uh, lead our revenue operations team. So, cool. um, and then we'll be hiring many SDRs, sales development representatives after that. But it's, it's kind of weird because I'm kind of mixed about this. I'm excited but then it's like, oh man, I got to go to the office. <laughs> you don't think you'll, do you have to go in five days a week? <laughs> I don't know. I, probably like, I don't know. It'll be you're, interesting. You're going to love it. <laughs> I think I'll like it. I just haven't done it in many, many years. Yeah. I, I'm loving two days a week in the office. Every, every Wednesday, which is our first day I get, I show up and I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. I should come in every day. And every Thursday when I leave, I'm like, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Two days a week is perfect. Is what you're it's saying? Perfect for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, another another thing that is related to um, you know the recruiting that I'm having to do for those roles, and it's also related to like marketing Leg of Health. It's now getting close to crunch time for Leg of Health. It's open enrollment season. It's coming, and so I'm like, okay, it's, like now people want to talk about health insurance. Like I have like 45 days where people are open to talking about health insurance. I want to maximize this. And then I've also got a you know timeline to fill these vacancies, you know, open office. That requires a lot of outreach, a lot of networking. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have a great week of all this. I'm like, today I woke up, I'm like, I am going to find ten good candidates through my network for sales development uh, manager. And then I realized like I don't have any of the like scripting done. I don't know what I need <laughs> to say. I don't like. I haven't really thought like enabled myself to be good at the outreach and the networking. Mm-hmm. And it click. It dawned on me. It's like if you want to do networking, you've got to make it really, really like, and you're an introvert like me. Let me back up. If you're an introvert like me, you are not an introvert. If you're not an extrovert like me. <laughs> um, and you like, it takes effort to like be social. Cause I'm, it does for me. Um, you have to like remove all the friction and, and really mm-hmm. enable yourself upfront. If you're going to be successful with networking and outreach. And I just realized like I hadn't done that. <laughs> It just dawned on me. So I spent, I'm like spending this week, like going, okay, success no longer is outreach this week. Success is like getting to the point where outreach takes no effort. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I haven't done a whole lot of this, but like what comes to mind is when I, uh, maybe a year ago was trying to hire somebody and we did it through like cold outreach on LinkedIn, like one at a time outreach, not like posting a job. Yeah. Every, every single person you're like, okay, I got to pull you up. I got to read your whole profile. I got to guess about what your life story is and like what pitch is going to work on you. And yeah, it's, it's exhausting. Even, even just sending like a little 200 word message on LinkedIn. Yep. So I'm going to create a Google doc. It's going to have all my templates and I'm going to go through and next week I'm just going to blast through hundreds. Of nice. People. Nice. Cool. If you try to do that without a script, man, it's exhausting mentally. Oh yeah. I'm always, so I'm the type of person, like if I have to call someone for any reason, like you know, the dentist leaves a voicemail, like, are you coming in tomorrow? Like we're confirming your appointment tomorrow. I'm like, all right, I got to psych myself up. I got to call them back. What might they ask me? Do I need my insurance info? Like I spend 30 minutes preparing to call them back just to say, yes, I'm coming in tomorrow. So yeah. 
<laughs> I'm amazed when people can just get on the phone and be like, I've got no script. I haven't thought about this at all. I'm just going to go. Yep. Yeah, you do a great. I mean, I, you, po- the podcast is it's interesting that like this forum is fine, but like a phone call is is, is not. It's all about who I'm talking to. Yeah, it's me. Like, yeah. I actually I always I, I think like not, not to be immodest. I think I'm good on this podcast. And when I hear myself on other podcasts where I'm talking like a, a, someone's interviewing me, I don't know. I always I hate what I say because I feel much more. Perf- I can. I don't think other people can tell, but I feel very performative. I'm like, oh, that answer was not even true. <laughs> like they asked me a question, and I wanted so hard, I wanted so badly to be interesting that I just, I didn't exactly lie, but I kind of like made up an insight that I don't even believe. You know. <laughs> uh, You're saying you don't do that on this podcast? No, I don't. Th- like if if I don't have anything to say, I'll be like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Cool. Last little thing here is that, um, you know, kind of what's next is once I get through this like outreach unblocking, uh, which is this week, I'm going to shift to uh, up- updating the website and launching digital advertising, which I'm super excited about because I've never done it before, um, at least never done it well. And uh, I think it's I think it has a chance to actually have, have an impact. Cool. Um, you'll, uh, I assume update us on like the full kind of tactics of it all uh, when it happens. Yep. I mean, at the core, um, I'm counting on JD driving a ton of uh, outbound traffic uh, volume, and then I want to make sure that we capture that traffic with the best possible pitch on our website mm-hmm. um, with the goal of cre- them creating an account or starting a quote. And then I want to um, configure our analytics suite and our our uh, digital marketing or digital advertising uh, to uh, identify who's in Utah and then remarket to those people and then basically ignore everyone else. Cool. And so, sorry. So November 1st is when things get really like, that's when open enrollment begins. Yep. So I've got a lot of, we, we have a lot of work to do. Um, we've been working our butts off, so yeah. we've got a lot more work to do over the next two weeks, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun month and a half of podcasting. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what happens. Or it's going to be depressing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if Rick doesn't talk about uh, leg up health at all that month and a half, we've got problems. Yes. Um, that's it for cool. me. So yeah, I don't, uh, this may or may not end up being a big topic, but it feels like it could be, um, kind of two product project management related things. Um, I'm not really sure what order to say these in, but maybe, maybe I'll just do them together. Like one, I'm kind of like adjusting how we're doing project management. Uh, I like spent a whole bunch of time in notion making like a database to track all of this stuff, but more importantly, like, um, okay, let me give a little history here. So originally, um, we just, I, I did all the coding and I kind of like project management and just do it naturally. And so I would just take a big project and just start like, I didn't need like a lot of, it's like the opposite of me calling the dentist, right? I could just pick up the phone and start talking basically. And then when we hired a couple developers, I just, I thought everyone's like me, I'll just tell them what we need and, and they can let me know if they have questions, but that didn't end up working. People like project management. They like to know here's exactly what I need to work on and have smaller projects. So they're not super overwhelmed all the time. So we came up with this like sort of like informal version of agile. That's like way less structured where basically we break projects into what we call jogs. A jog is meant to be two weeks. You work on it, you finish it, you ship it, you meet with me and Robert, the lead developer plan the next jog. That's been the cycle we've been doing. Any questions about that before I continue? I think it's funny that you call them a jog. I'll yeah, just well, that, that might be coming that. to an end, actually. Right. Yeah, in case it's not clear, a jog is like a sprint, but I, the, the word sprint is so stupid because you can't sprint all the time. Um, so the problem we're running into, there's a few things. The big one is like no jog actually takes two weeks. Um, 
they all take longer. And it's not, I mean, maybe part of it is like the developer could work faster. And there are like little, a, a small part of this is I want to get more out of the developer. That's like a small part of this. But the much bigger part is just like, you know, a bug fix comes in or uh, whatever. Like just there's any number of reasons that in some cases projects end up getting done two or three months later. And when you finish a project every two weeks, that naturally forces a meeting every two weeks and you don't need any other meetings. I think two weeks is a fine cadence for that. What ends up happening is it ends up stretching one or two or three months. And then I haven't met with them in that long. And by the time I talk to them, like they forgot what the point of the jog. They're like, I'm working on this. And I'm like, that wasn't a part of the jog. What do you mean? And they're like, well, it's been months since we talked last. So basically, I'm switching to a, a cadence of meeting every two weeks and not worrying about this whole jog thing. Just being like, every two weeks, we're going to talk about what you're doing for the next two weeks. If it's the same thing we had on your list for the last two weeks, so be it. But So long story short, you've basically said, let's remove all the complexity of planning and just talk about what we're working on. And then we can layer back in whatever we need to make it more efficient. You're basically going back to first principles and rebuilding this thing. Yes, we are. But like one of the key reasons I feel comfortable doing this is there was a a thing we met the first time when I said like we weren't doing things right the first time. Part of it was we didn't have structure around planning. But a big part of it was like I didn't know how to plan a project to like break it into small pieces and ship stuff quickly. And now I have enough confidence that I know how to like it's actually I think there's actually a pretty valuable skill in like this is a 18 month like man hours project. It's going to take six months for three people or whatever. But but then to say, okay, what can you do for a couple weeks that we can actually ship? And then how do you combine enough of those together that six months from now, everything's done? That's like a, a valuable thing to be able to do that I now feel like I can do. You're, you're saying you're a good product manager now. I think so. Or at least in this setting. Or we'll, we'll see. It'll be put to the test. Maybe I'm a bad product manager because I let the stuff... I let three months go by without meeting with anyone. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, my hope is we'll, we'll, my hope is we'll have a meeting every two weeks and just fit, each meeting will just use our own best judgment. What is the right scope for the next two weeks and just try to hold ourselves accountable to ship stuff quickly. But the meetings aren't timed with the projects. Yeah. That's so you're just making sure you're always every two weeks, you're, reprior you're basically reprioritizing every two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. Maybe we got it right two weeks ago and we're exactly where we thought we were going to be. Maybe we got it wrong and we need to like, you got three days out of that 10 days worth of work done and we're going to plan a new two weeks starting there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. The other thing that could happen uh, in the meeting like that is you, you look at, oh, you're working on that. Um, if you kept working on it in the current scope, like there's a rescoping uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, conversation that happens. Oh, we have new information. This is taking longer than expected. Um, we also have this other thing that you could be working on now. Um, let's cut scope. Yep. And cutting scope is one form of this, but this actually segues perfectly into the other related point, which is we are focusing our resources a little bit more than we have been. Our history, we've always said just like normally we don't, I, I just gave the example of the 18 man month project. Normally we don't work on that. Like we work on things small enough that one person owns the project. We don't really have like multiple people on a thing. Um, but one thing we're changing right now, we've been working on this redesign for a while that's kind of been on hold for a bit. And it's it's creating some like dependency issues where we have two versions of our product right now, like the old design and the new design, and everything everyone else builds, they have to support both versions. 
which is a mess. So what we're doing is we're just like, we're going to take everyone who, who is a good fit for this project, take them off their other projects and put them all on this one. But that's a good, so I'll talk about that in a second. That's a great example of that rescoping thing you were talking about. If we'd been meeting every two weeks, I would have said like, let's, I, this would have happened two months ago. But because we weren't, there wasn't like a good spot for me to just say like, tap someone on the shoulder and be like, hey, stop, <laughs> stop what you're doing, you know? So I'm looking forward to this. This is awesome. Um, oftentimes when a change like this happens, um, people might see it as a negative when mm -hmm. you roll this out. But like, once you start doing it, they're going to be like, oh, this is so much better. I didn't realize all the pain that you're stuff that, that, that I was had related to this. Are you getting any negative pushback, positive feedback? Um, no negative pushback yet. Although admittedly, like everything I'm telling you has not been fully communicated to people. I've kind of like cats on the roof it where I've like, I'm like, I'm thinking about changes and here are some things that I'm thinking about. Um, I haven't like announced it yet. And it's part of it. It's not even official. I don't have it all figured out yet. And this could this could blow up in my face. Like I I don't want to act like I have strong confidence that this will work, but um, I feel I think it's worth a shot. Um, especially I, I, listen, I, what, I the frequency if you change nothing other than the frequency of communication about priorities, like I think good things are yeah. going to come from that. So like that like that's all that's like good things will happen very, when we talk I, more. I feel very confident about that one. I agree. The thing I yeah the the, the other part where we're like putting multiple people on a project is like. I, f I think it, I feel good about it, sp certainly for this one project. Um, I do think there are like downsides to having multiple people work on a project. And this is why like a solo founder stands a chance of competing against companies with multiple employees is like there's there are no conflicts where like two people do things that don't work well together or like two people work on the same project at the same time. There's just like perfect communication with yourself in your own head. And when you have one person owning a project, you get that. Even if it's like six developers, but they're all working on different projects, you kind of isolate them all pretty well. Um, I, I'm a little nervous having multiple people on one project that'll create a lot more overhead in terms of planning and, and communication and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I hear you. You're going to learn though. And yeah. you'll try it. You're not making that hard, a hard call on that. You're just trying, you're trying it with one project, right? We're trying it with actually two. So, so here's like the framework Bracken and I came up with for like deciding if we think this makes sense, it needs to be put to the test. But one is like, we've got two requirements. Everyone only should work on things they're good at. So if it's like, here's, here's the project I want to put everyone on, but this, so like the redesign is very front end heavy. We're not putting our back end devs on it. I'm not going to like ask someone to do something they're bad at. Um, and then the second one is like a project that doesn't create those coordination challenges I was just talking about. Some projects are like, this is just a one person project. That's that's all there is to it. But as long as those two things don't apply, we're going to rank all our projects and put everyone that fits on the top one and everyone else. Like we're just going to go down the list until everyone's allocated that way. That's the hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I like it. I, I like the um, I like that. You know what the hardest part of this has been this exercise? What? Well, now I have to know what the top project is. Oh, it puts <laughs> pressure on you. Yeah. Um. It turns out, so like when we had two developers, the difference between number one and number two is so small that it's like, well, who cares which one is the top one? But now we've got six and there's a huge gap between number one and number six. And I didn't realize until now that like, like, why the fuck have we been working on project number six? Like, <laughs> and it's, it's an easy cop out, but we shouldn't have been doing it. You know, it's so, it's so interesting. Um, that's a, that is a, like when you look at an org, 
when it gets larger, that, that that's what happens with functional silos. Like you have this company goal, but people, instead of working, like you have marketing sales, you know, su- customer support, customer success product. And what ends up happening is like everyone creates their own goal to hit to that, like their own like mm-hmm. projects to hit that goal. And they don't talk to each other. And then they all like realize, oh, I actually need products help. Like marketing needs products help to do their project. Product needs marketing help to do their project. And so you're, you have, you know, six, you know, functions times three goals competing with each other for resources and nothing actually gets done. Everyone gets frustrated, huge coordination challenges. Yeah. Um, instead of people talking and going like, we have 18 things we could work on. Let's pick the top six that we all work on together. Um, it's, mm. it's a, it's a, it's a huge challenge, but that was happening on your team as individuals. Uh, yeah. and it's interesting that that I haven't even ever thought it, I see it so clearly happening at an organizational level right now. I've never like thought about it happening at a individual level, but I'm sure it's happening and I don't even notice it. Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I, I, we've talked about this before that like one of the superpowers of small businesses is one person can know everything, which goes back to that. There's no lack of like nothing's lost in translation for that one person. It's possible the other people, the company don't know everything that's going on, but as long as you have a central organizer and everyone does what they're supposed to do, you won't have the kind of conflict you're just, you were talking about, but I let us have that conflict anyway. It's, it's easier to let people work on more things than to decide to do the hard work and decide what the top things are and say no to everything else. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so that's, that's the, of, of everything I just rambled about, the thing I'm most excited about, if we can, if, if all this works well enough that we continue doing it is at any given time, you're going to be able to like say, Hey Tyler, what's number one. And I'm mm. going to be able to answer you. And that, that just hasn't been true uh, ever really. So I'm I'm pretty pretty excited for that. A lot of work for you. Yeah, it is. Well, that that's one of the big. I'm, I'm going to be in a lot of meetings and spend a lot more time uh, planning. But I, I like that type of work. That's so. leadership. I mean, my opinion. Like that's like one of a core a core responsibilities of a leader is to create focus. Yeah, I, I definitely think you're right. I I do like. I also think you know what we're not a high growth startup anymore. I can work on the stuff I want to work on. Not not fully. I do need to be a leader, but like I think it would be okay to give myself permission to be like I'm not a full-time manager, but this is the type of management that I like. So, anyway, I'll I'll keep I'll keep updating once it'll probably take a while to like like I'm going to let everyone finish their current jobs before switching them. Um so it'll be a while before I have results on this, but I'll keep you updated. Um another uh partial update and partial just like business idea. So uh, the timing worked out great on this. We Earlier this year, I, I very like vaguely mentioned that we kind of did a reorganization of what we call IDEA, which is the like diversity, equity, and inclusion group at the company. Um, basically, like, not everything we work on as a company is about making money. It's, some of it's about like our values and things we care about. And we earlier this year came up with a more concrete system for like saying, well, what are the things we care about and, and what are we going to work on? And putting constraints so we don't try to work on everything. We picked three top priorities, and one of them was making our app more accessible for uh, people who use screen readers, like blind people, for example, um, which I, I love because like historically, all of our idea stuff has been very like internal focused, like who do we hire in the St. Louis community? And this is the first time it's been like our product getting more accessible, which I think is awesome. Uh, we had our first uh, well, at least the first person who contacted us about it, like fully blind user sign up since then. Um, a, he was like, he emailed me directly and was like, 
I'm sick of trying CRMs that don't work on a screen reader. Does yours? And I was like, I really think so. I hope. Um, and he tried it out and it turns out he was like, this is like the best SaaS product I've used on like, or at least one of the best. He was like, Salesforce is very good, but too complicated. This is the only like simple CRM I've used that's accessible. So I felt very good about that. But it occurred to me, we're not like amazing at this. We're getting better, but we just started investing in this. And he was like, you're miles ahead of everyone else. Um, is there an opportunity to make software for people with disabilities? Because it seems like the bar is so low that you could you could just knock everyone else out of the park or out of the water. I, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, so... I looked, I think the blind pop, the, the fully blind, so there's like, you know, a lot of people have vision impairment, but there's like fully blind, like zero vision at all. Um, I think it's rare enough that the, you'd have to charge a lot because it's not like big enough of a market, probably. I wonder if there are other disabilities that are like, still get an, interfere with your ability to use most products, but um, have like a larger market. Super interesting. Um you basically the the cool thing about it is you don't have to reinvent any sort of ideas. You just take existing ideas and reconfigure them for a different audience to, you know, so it's like kind of, it could be, you could see it as boring work um, in terms of like an, in, from an innovation standpoint, cause it's very formulaic, but man, the impact from an impact perspective, like hugely motivating. Yeah. I mean, the, the highlight of my last month has been, I've been emailing with this guy and, He's just like, oh my god, I can use software now, uh, and, and I, I don't want to overblow like how good we are. Like we, we he still he also sent like us a, a, a huge list of like this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. <laughs> uh, but but the fact that I'm like okay, it's on the list. We just shipped a fix to that. He's like, you're actually putting effort into this. Like, cool. <laughs> um, which is very sad. Like I, I you know I feel terrible for mm. people who have to work with screen readers, but it is really fulfilling. To, to provide a service that they otherwise would not have access to. And it's really not that hard. No, that's cool. Yeah. Um, if anyone out there is, is interested in that, uh, get in touch. I'd be happy to like point you in the direction of um, what I think we're doing that's working, uh, if you want to head start on that. All right, you got any uh, rants and shout outs here? Um, one thing that is a big deal that no one that probably cares about other than me is that um, the family glitch has been eliminated by the federal government uh, officially. And that means that employers can feel less guilty about offering group health insurance, which is bad for my business, but at the same time, it's good. So I'll explain. Effectively, like when you offer group health insurance in the United States, you disqualify, if it's affordable to the employee, you disqualify that employee's entire family from a premium tax credit because the calculation of whether or not this plan was affordable. It was happens at the employee level. It doesn't take into account that you have five people in your family um, and, and may be eligible for like this huge tax credit because tax credit increases with household size. Anyway, they've made like basically they've changed the rules to do the calculation for the family members at the family rate mm. of affordability, which means a lot of a, a ton of people are now going to be eligible for premium tax credits who historically haven't been because of uh, their uh, breadwinners, um, the breadwinner of the family having access to affordable employee health insurance. Yeah. So there's huge opportunity for like a pelt to say, hey, you have access to group health insurance, um, but 
you may be able to get like a $10,000 tax credit by having the employee stay like the, the worker, whoever's working, stay on the group plan, but get the family individual policies. And then now the group, it's not as bad for an employer employer to offer group health insurance and quote unquote screw. They can't, it's harder for them to screw people out of the tax credits. That's Um, very cool. So it's a good thing. A little small thing. No one really cares about. Hopefully I did a decent job of explaining that, but maybe not. Well, and like, and I only partially understand it, but like one, one thing that I think is very cool about this, like all of the news is like nothing gets done and people only care about these three issues. And I know the government's fucked, but like, it is cool that things are, someone is spending time trying to fix, improve things that nobody hears about. Like that is kind of a optimistic thought, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, well, it's something that we can take to our customer base um, as value add and, and also maybe even get some clients out of it. Yeah. Great. Um, I, I had another question. Do you use um, the Notion desktop app? No, I I know there's like trade-offs between desktop versus, versus browser. I think Notion in particular is uniquely a thing that should be used in the browser. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, the, the I actually really like uh, how much faster the Notion app is in terms of like writing, but man, Grammarly doesn't work well outside of the, uh, outside of the browser. Mm-hmm. And so like that really affected, negatively impacted my ability to use the desktop app. So I'm back to the browser app. So I agree with you. For me, it's tabs. And I, I assume the desktop app has tabs, but I don't think you can separate it into like multiple windows uh, as mm. I understand it. Or maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, but that last time I checked, that was the case. I have like 20 Notion tabs open across three screens at all times. And I just can't imagine using Notion in like a single windowed view. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I uh, I mostly use it to when I'm doing like deep writing, um, and I need to like focus mm. on one. It's it's a speed of of a, like writing and word processing issue. Um, but man, the Grammarly thing like totally like offsets any gains in in writing processing efficiency. Uh, web web browsers are just so great. Like I, I'm very much of the opinion that you should default to using a web browser unless there's like a very important reason why it needs access to, uh, you know, your computer like sensors or like maybe notifications. Although you can do that through web browsers too these days. I, I pretty much stick to the web browser for almost everything. I think Slack being the main exception to that. What um what what else do you have today? Um, I want to mention I got a new podcast I've been listening to. Which uh, one? It's called Ship Sass Faster. Um, it's uh, from Simon and Vulcan, uh, two, two kind of indie hackers from the UK. Fun. fun. <laughs> I feel like I, I listen to too many Americans. Nice, nice hearing. <laughs> uh, <people laughs> your voices. About, yeah, different voices talking about uh, prices and pounds and all that fun stuff. But no, it's uh, <laughs> that's obviously not the main reason. But I, I've been enjoying it. I think it's it's this format of podcast, uh, Ship, Ship Sass Faster. So recommend And it. I believe um, I, if it's the same Vulcan, he has a no-code tool that he's building mm-hmm. um, yeah. that competes with web, like kind of a web flow type uh, yeah. interface. That's right. Um, and then um, Simon does uh, like a kind of backup tool for like um, DigitalOcean and I think AWS and Azure and other stuff like that now. So yeah, it's it's fun listening to it. I like having awesome. all these founder podcasts. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know how you do it. I'm out right now. I actually, I mean, not like through the end of time, but I've listened to every podcast that has come out in like the last two weeks, I think, that I subscribe to. When we first started doing podcasts, I didn't listen to podcasts. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, I listened to a lot you, of podcasts. We had like now. a lot of conversations where I think some of them were even recorded on the podcast where you're like, I don't get what the point of this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I'm like, you're on a podcast right now, right? <laughs> yeah, I totally changed. Like, uh, definitely have a different, um, like a target, uh, you know, profile, uh, in terms of podcasts I like, but man, so much, so valuable to be able to throw something on and walk like, holy cow. I, I, I'm sorry for such a tangent. I, I was having a conversation with uh, the person like Maggie who does videos for us at Less Annoying today. We were talking about like the tone of the videos we wanted to make, like, you know, very, like slow versus fast, casual versus formal. Um, and we had the conversation of like, why, why do so many of us listen to podcasts a lot more than audiobooks? And I think it's kind of like exhausting hearing perfect English that's been edited and that's spoken you know, articulating every sound. I like there's something just easier about hearing a natural person talk, even if the content's worse. So uh, last thing I'll say, and then I will sign off um, about this. So as I'm thinking through digital ads, like well, there's a lot of retargeting opportunities with display video um, or video, I should say vid video advertising versus like um, display ads. And I don't know if you've noticed, but like if you go to YouTube, sometimes there are these cuts that like look like it's a YouTube video, but it's actually an advertisement where this guy is just like sitting like, you know, you know, at I'm his on computer. YouTube premium, Rick. I, yeah. I'm not oh, one of the normies watching advertisements. Well, you pay for YouTube. That's <laughs> sad. I use it instead um, of Spotify. That's why. So, so, but anyway, like uh, this, it's highly effective to be hit with a casual ad where mm -hmm. someone's talking to you. Um, without polish. Um, and I'm going to try that with like a pelt this, yep. uh, this open and roll period. Almost every TikTok ad is this way. Yeah. Even from like major, major brands, it's just like some person sitting in their living room talking to you. I might even like put, we're looking at, uh, it says Zencaster, but it says playground. Is this Zencaster? Why does yes. it say playground? I guess I they're rebranding. Zencaster redesign stuff and I'm about to quit yeah. and switch to something else. <laughs> okay. So, um, the, uh, but it says like your handle at, at, um, the top right of your screen. I don't know if you can see that. Does for me, does it say Rick Lindquist? Um, I don't have Rick? anything at the top, right? Yeah. So at the top right, it says Tyler King. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing to have, like, as a call to action, like you're talking on an ad, like, like a pelt, like at like a pelt. Anyway, um, oh, yeah. there's a, I, I see a lot of opportunity with video advertising that is highly targeted and, and untapped, uh, I think for us, um, where we like during open enrollment, like if we can get one, like someone who like we know has health insurance to watch an ad that tells them to basically create an account and why be huge. Yeah. I, yeah. I, in the past, I always said no, no video or image, no media based ads like video or photos because it costs so much to get high quality media created. But now like, like we're saying it, you, you can just do a selfie or whatever and it's fine. <laughs> so yeah, go for it. There you go. Anything else you want to chat about? No. Good talking to you. You too. Um, if you'd like to review past topics and notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.